Hello and welcome to this week's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and I'm joined by Tamar van der Hock, who's Blackstock's Head of Design, joined by Neil Andrew, who's Head of Hospitality for Perkins & Will, and by Federico Teresi, who's the Global Vice President for Design for Luxury and Premium Brands at Accor, the global hotel brand. Thank you, gentlemen. Good to see you this morning. Good to see you, Tamar. How is everything, Federico, in, in the hotel world? It's been a, a crazy couple of years. Obviously, you guys have, have got different brands all over the place, different parts of the market, economy, mid-tier, luxury, super premium. And, and as well as that, you've got One Fine Stay that you acquired the luxury house rental service, bit you know like a, a luxury Airbnb. Many, many different elements of the market, many plates spinning. What's your role in all of this? And how are you seeing the world evolve and rebound post-COVID? Hi, Andrew. Well, first of all, thanks for having me over to talk to you guys about what's happening in the world of hospitality since the pandemic has hit us. In terms of what I do at Accor, I look after design strategy for our luxury and premium brands. And what that means is I explore ways of explaining how to develop the built product of our brands and uh, come up with design philosophies, which then end up in design strategies, which then end up in suggestions to designers around the world on how to best express that particular brand, its DNA, and the focus is always on the guest experience. What's been happening in the past couple of years is we've had a bit more time to re- reflect on what we're doing with these brands. And I look after the luxury and premium ones. So I go all the way from a Ruffles and a Ranked Express to a Mervyn Pick. And in between, we have Swiss Hotel, Sofitel, Pullman. Yeah, yeah. And what we do with those is we make sure that they give really defined guest experiences to the people that choose to stay with us. What's been happening with the world has given us, as I said, a bit of time to reflect on what we're doing. So we've not brands. just been sitting down watching box sets like everybody else. Absolutely not. We have never been busy in the design. We have a, I'm, I'm a member of the Global Design Solutions team. Yeah. And we've never been busier during this time. And in fact, working from home has given us an efficiency that we hadn't had before because we'd always traveled a lot as well. So we've had a really, really strong time of it, making sure our brands will perform better than before at the rebound which is what we call the kind of the restart of the world as such after the pandemic. And we've had a couple of rebounds, like last summer, 2020, our hotels were doing really well because of local trade. And this year, of course, we've seen it again in the summer. And luckily, it's it's kind of stayed at those levels. And what we've seen is, of course, people are, are looking for more immersive experiences. They've chosen for longer stays. And we're trying to figure out how we can even improve those experiences for them by allowing our brands to extend and flex and, and give them the opportunity to have more immersive experiences in during their longest days, flexibilities to work, flexibilities to stay with their families in our hotels, flexibilities to engage with the local community, which is very important because what we're trying to figure out is travel is somewhat changing. If mm. you're a domestic traveler, you are going to probably go to a new city that you haven't worked in before and therefore you'd want to explore it but you also want to feel comfortable if you're a foreign traveler you may stay for a lot longer so you really want to make sure you can carry out about your business and also enjoy being part of a new community so we're really trying to figure out how those hotels can flex to give our guests a much more immersive experience of where they are so neil can you tell us about your work at perkins and will and how you're using design to create an impact with communities but also within the hospitality sector uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, first off, thank you for Andrew for, and Tamar for having me here as well. I mean, at Perkins and Will, ultimately, we, I mean, as a hotel designer, I've, I've always sort of thought about the community when 
designing a scheme. And I mean, it's been quite a few years now that we've, we've been thinking about the locale when you design uh, schemes. In the past, I've actually worked with a couple of other brands who I won't, I won't mention on their brand standards for um, public areas. And a lot of the time that was about how you would link it to the local community as well. So, I mean, in that sense, it's more about designing and flexibility into the public spaces. And, you know, there was a time, I mean, a few years ago, we all spoke about co-working, for, for example. So you'd work with brands about how hotel lobbies could, could flex into co-working spaces in the day and then transition into dining spaces at night. So you would look at how, how lighting can be used to, to kind of transform spaces and stuff like this. I mean, hospitality's kind of shifted a little bit, I'd say, where... You know, I remember, was it a few years ago? I was on uh, looking at Ye's service department's brand in Amsterdam. And they were quite good because they had very stripped back, literally no public areas at all. But the way that they dealt with it was they would actually encourage people to to go out and, and explore the, the local area. So they actually developed like a guidebook for the, the local sort of vicinity. So, and, and that's kind of, I think that's carried through a little bit to hospitality now where it's more about experiences rather than actually you know all of the possessions that might be in the hotel itself and Federico that's kind of what you were alluding to right yeah absolutely I think you know in in the world of luxury we've seen a big shift from having sumptuous rooms with incredible artisanal products inside gold marble that's really gone away what our guests want and what our luxury guests want is to feel different experiences that they can take away with them in their minds and hearts as opposed to walk away with a bag full of goodies and of course there's we're not going to take away the bag full of goodies but we're going to make sure that that bag but you've sacked off bling basically no it's sacked off bling i think quality can be expressed in the the detailing of so the it's place. about authenticity really over absolutely i think what we what else. we found is especially now that people are have a time to think and calm down a bit what's more important to our guests at any scale it doesn't matter if it's luxury or economy is to get that honesty back in the product that they're buying and we see that with the food and beverage offerings we see that with the way that our hotels interacts with the local community we see that when our guests really appreciate local materials and local crafts expressed in the hotel and i think that's really part of enhancing the guest experience without taking away mm. the obvious on the topic of materiality neil mm-hmm. And Federico, could you tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing together on Sleepset? Because there is a real focus within that project around sustainable materials and mm. an experience as well for guests who are coming in. Just explain a little bit for our listeners about that concept. Yeah, uh, so I mean, I wanted to touch on what Federico said as well, actually, because in terms of luxury, I think it's being hit by, in terms of, you know, you said losing the, the bling, I think it's being hit from sort of two angles there. Because firstly... People have moved away from the sort of, you know, overly bling design, but also... Look at you, you've, you've not worn any of your trademark gold chains today, Neil. Oh, how did you, do you, how did you know I wear a gold chain? Anyway, <laughs> you've just got the wear. trademark architect polo. Interesting, yeah. It's, uh, um, it's just uh, Charlie Brown. He's gone I got the, dressed gone, in the dark today, so it was, it was <laughs> way too early. Um, <laughs> well, the, the other angle is that actually, you know, perception of cleanliness, right? You, people actually want less stuff in the room now. And then also, if you kind of factor in sustainability, where, you know, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that people's aesthetics are changed 
by external factors. And I've got lots of theories on this, which I could go into. I don't know how interesting you'd find that. But I think, you know, if you look at, if we're moving to circular design principles, for example, that's going to drive a certain aesthetic, which we will, after a certain amount of time, become more used to. You know, you kind of saw it with some mid-century furniture that came back into trend, but actually the proportions were a little bit ugly. Um, yeah, but anyway, move, moving on and back to sustainable materials. I mean, Federico and myself, we actually met, it must have been sort of May, June last year when we started working on the sleep set together for Sleep and Eat. And um, yeah, we we developed a a design for a, a sort of guest room that was, was sort of pegged to be built in 20, 2035. Correct. Um, and obviously the kind of pillars that we built, we worked around were wellness. So obviously you've got biophilia in there. Sustainability was was hugely important and, and sort of future hidden technology was in there as well, which is also part of the wellness, to be honest. But um, so during that process, we obviously started to research sort of sustainable materials. And actually at Perkins and Will, the corporate interiors team have taken that a step further. We've got a database now, which is actually, it's got around 300 suppliers on there who have all provided their EPDs and, you know. Just explain what an EPD is. Uh, EPD, so basically it's uh, abbreviation for Environmental Product Declaration. So it's a tag, basically, that tells people yeah, how environmentally friendly and it I is. I guess it can go into more and more detail. That, that some of the products you, sh- you will struggle with to kind of interrogate more, the, the furniture pieces, because, you know, they've got hidden adhesives and, and stuff like this in there. But basically all of the materials on the now database have gone through this this sort of process already mm. and that's actually it will be an open share platform open for other yeah. yeah for other designers to go on and, and and work with and this must be really difficult for you federico when you're obviously wanting to design and commission something to be zero carbon or healthier or whatever definition you you assert to that being able to bring the supply chain with you is a huge huge challenge isn't it Indeed. I think what we discovered with the exercise that we did at uh, SET last year, designing a room for 2035, which was the title of the task, made us look at how a room could be sourced responsibly, how it could be maintained and how long it would last. And then we started interrogating our suppliers. And actually, because of what Neil just mentioned about various parts to a product, the traceability, the cyclical aspects of any product is so hard to trace back and to define. And, you know, everybody's first approach to an environmentally friendly product is packaging, which is fair enough. But we're focusing very hard on the carbon footprint of things at the moment at our core. And, you know, we, we're, we're launching a very stringent carbon footprint program and we, we are sending out questionnaires to all of our suppliers to see where they stand currently and what they're planning to do in the future. And the whole point is that really to, to generate a database of suppliers, materials, methods, that we can then put into some our standards so they can be followed to ensure that the next phase of designing a hotel would already have the tools to try and get those carbon emissions lower, but to also be a more responsible way of building for our community, traceability of product, the fact that we don't need to mask a product with another product so that it can perform better, but look for a higher performance in an existing natural product. So just making sure really that we are looking at not only cutting the distance between our source and our hotel, but we're also looking at seeing how we can create a philosophy that directly responds to the environmental demands of what we're trying to do. 
And I think from a design point of view, a large, you know, one of the main hurdles in sustainable design is the cost, right? The, the upfront cost of doing it. And as a, as a sort of design manager, a large part of our cost would be the time that designers spend researching new materials and stuff. So if you've already carried out that process, it's kind of helping us to remove part of that cost as well. So yeah, it's a very valuable process, but the sleep set did kind of help us uncover a lot of interesting materials that we've that we've yeah and what we found with. is you know you don't need plastics to mm. cover a floor with you can use organic materials mm. that will wear just as well as something that's man-made you can also enhance the guest experience because they you know from from the perspective of biophilia for example where we relate to natural elements and it makes a human relax better uh, feel better we can incorporate natural materials that are evidently so therefore you're looking at wood you're looking at a seagrass wall you're looking at a cork floor and also from a tactile perspective you know you can really feel more that you're part of a space as opposed to being inside a space and it's more a kind of antiseptic as such you know it, it's, it becomes involving and i think that's kind of part of the philosophy where we took for sleep step 2035 is mm. that the room should become a friend to the guest and the guest could transform that room as well so the idea was to make sure that those elements were there they were not damaging to the environment or the guests because sometimes some materials are also harmful to humans and that guests could also move the space around to suit their mm. needs which is what we found with the pandemic is you know flexibility of space is really important because you may get stuck in a space for a longer period than you thought mm. So Federico, what data do you need and what tech do you need in order to, to prove that story, to prove that sustainability and the recyclability of materials? There's a lot of big promises you're making, a lot of grand ideas. And I think it's clearly there's a, there's a huge amount of transition that, that we're undertaking at the minute globally in design and construction development. It's just be interesting to see how that, what, where, where are the gaps Sure. I think the promise that we're making is that, you know, we're part of the Sustainable Hospitality Alliance and we want to make sure that we can make a promise. Right now, no one is really able to make a firm promise as to where they're going to go with A, their carbon footprint, but B, also their social responsibilities and traceability of their product. It's a data-driven process, so especially our carbon analytics are all data-driven, which means that we can cross-reference against set standards by world-renowned organizations, which means it's aligned with other countries and other companies, so it can be easily compared. When it comes from other data sources, we employ agencies that have done research in the field of supply chain, for example, to help us generate questionnaires that we've now sending out to our furniture suppliers, for example, to ask them about their env the environmental footprint of their products. And there's so many facets to try and generate uh, environmentally positive product that really there are expert teams at our core that are focusing on these fields mm. and i guess the purchase power that you must have as a global business is huge i think purchase power has got something to do with it but i think it's really about making sure that our network understands that the whole planet is going towards a phase where we have to actively be enforcing a way of procuring that is not harmful any longer to the planet. And so it's going to become the norm. So purchasing power is one thing, but I think also people power. If we all demand as, as human beings that our products are sourced better, that our recycling is done better, that the longevity of what we buy is ensured, I think that's that's the power we need to try and change the, the whole 
economy so that we can try and make sure we can solve this problem of the carbon footprint, of the damaging to the environment, abuse of energy and water and all the all the things we take for granted. That's the power I think that we should have. Yeah, I mean, I don't believe it's been done yet. I don't think anyone's actually analysed the sort of environmental performance of a functioning hotel, to be honest. I, I could be wrong. I don't think it has Well, they been. don't need to, do they? No one's regulating or saying that you have to do that. No, but I mean, you know, I guess my point is, you know, it's, it's actually the process for us to design interiors because so, i'm an interior designer so the process for us to design interiors sustainably i mean we we can conduct a, a life cycle analysis and we we conduct reports sort of at every stage of the design process we we can uh, you know analyze what we're doing but ultimately a large proportion probably the biggest is the operational energy right I yeah mean, energy so energy what we've what we've done through our research we've highlighted where we can make immediate savings and of course energy and water consumption mm. are the two biggest um, and it's energy in operating a property but it's also energy in supplying building uh, materials to a property mm. in you know manufacturing furniture for a property so those two are the biggest biggest savings we can make and there's lots of technology we can use already to do that and in terms of the cost factor it's not that much more than the old technology so you know you can mm. cut the water usage quite quickly mm. you can recycle yeah. a lot of the use so this is a biggest part and then of course you have to look into the little bits right so how much plastic you use in a hotel and mm. how quickly can you get rid of that and that comes from the food supply to the amenities you have in the guest yeah. room yeah yeah so Frederico, given what you've just said about waste what is the biggest challenges around the circular economy given that hotels need to be refitted or fitted out every you know seven eight years i know in the corporate office space now it's around every seven to ten years no, i think there's an obvious solution to this is to when you refurbish a hotel buy good quality materials that will last very long we see some countries especially in europe where refurbishments have been done 15 years ago and mm. the only thing that doesn't look quite right is the style but the rest of the furnishings inside a room are excellent quality and they've been well maintained so they've well, lasted what about challenging that Federico? i guess there's a trade-off isn't there because you could have fantastic materials that last 15 years but at the end of those 15 years they're totally unusable and have to go to landfill correct or you could have cheaper slightly less high quality materials that might last five or six years they still go to landfill though but 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 that's but my point is that are there is there a middle ground here where you might have stuff that doesn't go to land, but it could be reused, it could be repurposed, it could be cut up and, and used for something other than just going in the ground. I wouldn't say there's a middle ground, but I'd say there's a solution where it comes from your supply chain. So you order products that have interchangeable parts, so you can then repair things. You also start demanding from your supply chain that they give you their recycling program. A lot of companies are saying to us, for example, if you buy our bathtubs, well, those bathtubs actually already have a carbon negative footprint because we've used recycled steel, we've used energy that is renewable energy, for example, mm. uh, and then we'll take that bath away from you in 20 years. The problem, of course, is regardless of whether it's a bath, a chair, a carpet, everything else, which actually most companies have a recycling program, is we as operators may not be operating that property when it gets refurbished because yeah. often the refurbishment is done because it changes flag or it changes owner. So yeah. how do you ensure that? How do you ensure the recycling takes place? So we know that they can be recycled. We know that we can recycle these products because we specify them accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the biggest issue is how do you ensure it gets recycled and not just 
bulldoze down and put into landfill. Mm. So Neil, that ties in quite nicely what we you've been focusing on at Perkins and Will with the net zero pledges around the circular economy and materials. Can you mm-hmm. tell us a bit more about that work? Yes. Yeah, so, so ultimately, the, the goal is to reuse rather than recycle if you can, because obviously recycling takes energy and obviously we don't want anything to end up in the landfill. In order to do that, you need to design in modularity where you can. So I mean, we're still at a point now where you'll be refurbing old properties, right? And you're going to have stone or tiles fixed to the wall with adhesives. It's going to be very difficult for you to remove those without damaging them. So the best you could do is maybe take them away, clean off the adhesive. Can they be recycled perhaps? So that, that's those pieces. We are seeing products coming out with more ingenious fixing methods. But I am I mean, we've seen like magnetic timber floors and stuff. I'm a little bit dubious about that. I, I don't know how long that's going to last as such. But the way to ensure it is moving towards material passports, essentially. So every item in a hotel would have a passport, which will, you know, tell you where it's come from. So when you actually demolish or dismantle you know a a building essentially you know exactly what's in it Mm. where it can go i mean you know it's not the easiest but it's not easy because you've got to factor in then insurance because if you're then taking those materials and using them for something for example structurally it's a challenge isn't it getting insurers to to reinsure well structural i don't think it's it's a it's a matter of insurance i think it's it's a matter of legislation. Mm. So, well, for example, it will be if you wanted to build something with a piece of steel you've taken from something else, and, and the insurance says no. But see, what happens is, for example, if steel steel can be smelted and then remade into something else, so you could do that. Yeah, um, but then you've lost any benefit, any environmental benefit, really, from just. But you don't have to mine. It. You don't have to mine the new steel. Mining, no, that, that, that's fair. You that's know, fair. I think that, that there is there is there's, a, there's different levels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's, exactly. No, no, for, I, I get that. I guess where I'm coming at the sort of the, the top most idealistic mm-hmm, way, which mm-hmm. is I take my piece of timber, my steel from over here and i take it over here uh, and that can be reused but i, I take your point federico it's, it's a fair point and i think that there are companies these days who are creating geopolymers that can then be associated to the powder or the ground down products that you've built yeah. something with and they're also creating the way of extracting the raw material therefore when you demolish a building and you work with these technologies you can separate the concrete you can separate the wood you can separate the plastics and then you can grind them up and they become that prime source of material again. And then you mix them with geopolymers and you recreate the material and you can reuse it again with the same qualities and the same guarantees. Yeah. So there's there's a way of, yeah. of solving everything, but it has to be, if something's not legislated and it's not done globally, then there's always going to be a way around it. I think the, the biggest power that we can have as a brand, as, a, as an operator, is to demand that there are certain rules that are adhered to and then, of course, we need to be supported by governments locally to make sure that these can be enforced. So given the purpose of sustainability and using materials that have longevity, we're obviously wanting these buildings to last a longer time, to have more uses for more people to, to use and get better use out of. Frederico, can you tell me how you see hotel spaces perhaps evolving and changing over time as you know, we look at perhaps more membership opportunities to get local communities involved within cities. What do you see the future of city centre hotels? Well, I think that's, a, that's an excellent question. We touched upon the flexibility of spaces with the work we're doing with Neil for sample rooms so that guests can adapt the room to itself. And so we're looking at adapting hotels to become focal points of a community by opening their doors and allowing the neighbourhood to come in. And especially in city centre properties where 
you know, we always already had some spaces that were not full all the time. So maybe some conference rooms or some guest rooms even. There's always been a problem from any operator to fill your hotel 100%. Having had time over, over the pandemic to reflect, flexibility of space seems to be a super important thing to address. So we've been working very hard to creating flexible guest rooms that can be adapted to office space, but also to be adapted to a beautiful dinner with your partner and a movie night. We're looking at opening the doors to the public spaces of our hotels so that guests can book them and you know have, have a big dinner with their mates or organize a social game night, or maybe just working away from, from home for a bit, because you know obviously the world of working is changing as well. We're not all going back to the office 100% of the time, but we may need to meet someplace and we can't meet at home. Mm. So, so it's this just, could actually end up making the real estate work a little bit harder, squeezing a little bit more out of out of the properties, right? I think so. I mean, uh, Neil, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I mean, that's always been the, the goal anyway, really. I don't think this is a new thing in terms of... Well, as a, as well, a, it is, isn't it? I mean, in some respects it is. Because, well, I mean, how many times do you walk past restaurants that open in the afternoon and it could be doing breakfast? How many times do you walk past hotels and you see a few people having coffee in the morning and that's it? Yeah, no, I meant, so I meant from a design point of view, okay, it's, not, yeah, it's sure, not a new sure. thing for me because, you know, one of our selling points is that we can help a, a client drive revenue from every square inch of their property at any time of the day. That's that's the ideal. So you would have the, you know, the obvious one is the, is the private dining room that can double up as a meeting room, right? I mean, I was looking for one just yesterday. But ultimately, it's up to the hotels and how they operate it. That's correct. No, I think we have to find solutions to add flexibility to hotel spaces. We know that there is a market for the neighbourhood to come to the hotel and use it as a referential point. We also know that adaptive reuse of buildings has been around for a while. Mm. Um, we know that in city center properties, we may find that office buildings may be emptying out or may not need all the spaces all the time. And they may want a hospitality partner to be able to manage those spaces. Well, I think also you might, you know, with uh, more and more retail spaces being repurposed, right? You might find that maybe the ground and mezzanine floor is, is operated as one thing and then you, you pair it with a select space service hotel above so that that's kind of they're feeding off the F&B offering from the operator at the lower level and and you could see a blended you know blended use and more partnerships and, and it's a well, guest you know. driven demand thing as well so what we've done as part of our research at our core is we have a, an annual design competition and um, we call it the Accor Design Awards. And this year's task is to go out to international design schools and we've got 15 schools from around the world and their brief was tell us what you would do as an urban citizen to improve the quality of your life in your neighborhood if you had an, a hotel that you could tap into for resources. So they're gonna design us the solution that they think is most appropriate, which is gonna be an interesting thing because it's a, it's a guest-driven, demand-driven service that we want to provide. But you could be well-positioned, I'm guessing, not just Accor, but the wider hotel sector, to potentially eat the lunch of some office landlords, right? If you've got all of these properties mm -hmm. that you already own, already well-managed, and by definition, they're pretty well-located, and if you've used Neil Andrew, then they could be brilliantly designed, right? You could be providing that flexible office space that people now are saying they want because they're working Wednesdays to Thursdays. Well, there's, well, there's we an already are. For that I won't use. We already are because we have a we have a company called Wojo which provides flexible office space and actually it's designed to interface really well with hotel properties. So you either have a Wojo corner or a Wojo floor where you can book your space for meetings, where you can spend the whole day working and you have access to the hotels F and B. So if you want a coffee, if you want to meet somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that office space in itself 
is due a change. And we all see it, we see it already because, you know, the, the big companies have already inter- started to integrate food and beverage and sports and childminding activities and opportunities for staying after work and maybe watching a film. So already there's been a shift to trying to keep the workers in the buildings. But now the workers have discovered that they can actually stay at home and work as efficiently. How mm. are we going to bring them back to those buildings is going to be key to the profitability of any other business that And Neil, works. are you seeing any of that sort of spill over into the well, sort of corporate office interior work that um, is happening at Perkins and Will? Well, I was going to say, actually, there is a co-working brand in New York, and I can't remember the name now. I'm sure it begins with an A. And they've actually taken over a hotel property, and the rooms are designed to, to function as offices. So imagine if you, you know, yeah, we are working from home, but ultimately, you know, I like to think that if you had less responsibilities, if I was designing a resort in Mexico, I'd love to, or Mexico City, I'd love to go and live in Mexico for three, four weeks whilst I'm doing it, obviously. So if if I could you know, take a couple of designers and we could use our hotel room as a, as a working space, which is what they're doing in this place in New York, then you, that can double up and yeah, you can drive additional, it can be an additional source of revenue ultimately. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I do see that, that happening. Public spaces. Yeah. I mean, for a while we've, we've been thinking about how, how they can double up as co-working, but I think people are quite, you know, people will find a way to, to work. They'll work in cafes if, if they have to, you know, so I mean, it's uh you know, it's just on all on the laptop now, isn't it? So, you know, <laughs> I think sometimes you can over-design spaces. And I don't want to talk myself out of a job here, but... Um, people will. You know. People will survive wherever they want. Yeah. Well, hopefully with all this opportunity in the market, Neil, no one's going to be putting you out of a job just yet, but you can always come here and, and help us with all of the uh, all of the soundproofing that we need in our, in our podcast studio at Blackstock. But thank you very much to Neil Andrew from Perkins & Will, to Federico Teresi from Accor, and to Tamar van der Hook. And we'll see you again very, very soon. You can subscribe to Propcast on Apple, on Spotify. Just search Propcast and do keep propertyweek.com at the top of your bookmarks for all the latest property news. I've been Andrew Teacher. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again very soon.